Well, what a joy it is to welcome you here this morning. And I'm Pastor Joey, and those of you who may be here for the very first time this Sunday, it's a delight especially to welcome you here. Um, we're set up a little differently this morning. We have tables up because we had an incredible breakfast provided by our food services team just a few moments ago. And uh, we had breakfast together, and, and Jeff, whom you're going to be hearing from in just a moment, um, shared with us a great talk this morning, great presentation while everybody had breakfast. And so we were so, so delighted um, to have him here today. So it was about a year ago, and I was praying, God, give us guidance, because I knew that we needed to do something with biblical worldview. I've been reading and filing on that particular topic for years, and as I have uh, looked at, at culture and as I see what's happening, I knew we were at a critical time, and I think probably everybody here now realizes what a critical time it is um, that we do a good job of presenting, teaching, uh, uh, practically applying the idea of a biblical worldview. We've done a sermon series on that. We've done some discussion groups on that. We've had other um, guest speakers come and present on this. And so it's a, an intentional effort that our church is making. So about a year ago, I was in a concert in Shipshawana, and I was invited by a family member to come up and, and take in a Collingsworth family concert. And many, many of you have uh, attended those concerts from the Collingsworth family. Uh, if, if not, you maybe have seen their music or heard their name or seen them on social media or something. So uh, it was a great concert. Probably one of the best piano solos I've ever heard was, was played by our speakers uh, today's sister. And just an incredible pianist, a great musical group, okay? And so you definitely want to take that in. Incredible pianist, and God is just like a childhood prodigy, really, in that area. God has really gifted her. But not just uh, her, his sister. God has gifted the entire Keaton family. And they are all just making an incredible difference around the world. And so it was in that concert um, that there was like an intermission. I call it halftime. All right, intermission, and uh, there was uh, a video that was played, and, and there was a couple other uh, things said, and then I was thumbing through the Renew a Nation magazine. I thought, well, what's this? And I saw in that magazine, and I heard from the Collingsworth family um, representatives, hey, Renew a Nation is doing great work in the world in the area of biblical worldview. I thought, bingo, there's my next step. And they put me onto some resources, and so now what I would just say to you this morning uh, one thing has led to another. I have never seen a church elder board jump on a vision faster than the biblical worldview vision that we've cast here and that you have cast alongside this incredible team of people to help our church turn the corner on becoming a biblical worldview. I've never seen an elder board respond that quickly and that favorably. They see the need. You've got a great leadership team here. They see the need. They, they know the what the future holds, and the stakes are high. And we want to fight, and we want to fight hard. And I know sometimes I use the military imagery so much, but it's a, it's a battle that we're in. It is a fight, and, it's, and it's, it's not going to be easy to take the hills that we got in front of us. But we can, by the grace of God. I, I believe in you, and I love you. And I know that you are here this morning in this place because you love your family, and you're fighting for them. And they're so sweet. They're little girls, little boys, watching them grow up. 17, almost 17 years here. I've seen you come through elementary and high school and now college, and it's just really interesting to see what God is doing through the families of our church. Well, I have high hopes for you. And someday I'm going to look back and say, yeah, we had that one. We had that one. We had that one. We invested in that one. We got them on biblical worldview at this early age, biblical worldview camps, curriculum, uh, Answers in Genesis curriculum, special speakers coming in. We got you snapped into biblical worldview early, and now look at the difference God's making in and through your life. I know, I know this morning wherever I speak, because the guy we're going to listen to in just a moment wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a mom and dad who had a biblical worldview. And they taught it to him faithfully and early throughout their life. And he and his whole family really is speaking today, making a difference. In fact, you know how I said uh, one of the best piano solos I've ever heard was played by his sister. Well, one of the most exciting worldview ministries I've, I've encountered of late, and I read and I read a lot. I'm telling you, Renew a Nation is that ministry. God is using this ministry nationally in, a, in an age of wokeism where p people are fleeing school corporations. They're fleeing they're f because 
and by God's grace, he has blessed us here with incredible Christian leadership, and we're thankful for that. But the encroachment of this ideology is going around the world. People don't know what to do because up is down and down is up and left is right and right is left and black is white and white is black. Everything's turns on its head. What do we do? Where do we go? God raises up visionaries for such a time as this. And that's what he's done in the ministry of Renewing Nation. God has raised up a visionary, someone who loves the Lord, walk with the Lord, someone who sees the stake, someone who's willing to boots on the ground and get enter into the fray of the battle. Somebody that's willing to take some hits for the battle, shed some blood over the battle. Well, the guy you're going to listen to here this morning's done that. And uh, he's brought us here to us. Would you be so kind? You know what? We were college, um, in college together at, in Florida, Bible college together. I was a couple years ahead of Jeff, I think. And then uh, I graduated class of 91. He graduated class, class of 93. I did an internship at Belle Glade Correctional Institution. You want an education, go do your internship at a Belle Glade uh, Correctional Institution. I thought they were really listening. Well, after I left, a few years after I left, uh, they dug a tunnel from the chapel out underneath the wall and out, and they had their escape route. And I thought they were just really into the word. I thought, man, I must be really preaching good. You know, they're into the word. They're looking. It's like, I guess maybe a little Bible fulls of dirt were going out underneath. The, I don't know. But that's, hey, biblical worldview says that is our problem, right? We're fallen human beings. And so not only does it tell us where we came from, it tells us what went wrong in the world. We're rebels. We are rebels, man. And we're going to do it our way, right? Well, God loves us even in our rebellion. He does something great. It's called redemption. He sent his son into the world for us rebels. People are like, you're looking at a rebel. You're looking at a guy that's made all the mistakes. All right? And you're here this morning. You don't feel bad. You're welcome. You're a part of us. You're a part of this mistake. Uh, uh, laden and driven experience we call life but the beauty is jesus doesn't let us alone in our rebellion he seeks and pursues us he finds us it's called redemption and the beauty is your life can be restored this morning i don't care if you're broken i don't care if you're addicted i don't care if you're discouraged your family's falling apart god is on the move and if you'll just open up your life to him he'll walk right inside so this morning it's a privilege once again to have Brother Jeff to come. Would you please give him a warm Stones Hill welcome? Good morning again. And thank you, Pastor Joey, for this great opportunity. I was born and raised in the state of Indiana. I've been gone now for 33 years, but I was born in Madison, Indiana, down on the Ohio River. And I lived for six years in New Albany, Indiana, and the rest up around Indianapolis. And when I was on the Ohio River for the first 10 years, they made me a Kentucky Wildcat fan. And we are in grief and mourning this weekend. We have failed again. But the only thing I text my good buddy, who was the best man of my wedding, and he was at the game the other day, I said, thank God we're not Indiana fans. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It didn't end so well for you guys either, did it? I still root for Indiana. I do, second to Kentucky, and unless they're playing Kentucky, you know. Uh, once you're a Hoosier, you're always a Hoosier, even though I've been in Florida and Virginia for the last 33 years, and I have to admit I do like the warm weather down south a little bit better. <laughs> but you greeted me with 60 degrees today. Praise the Lord. I told him in the early service uh, two, three years ago, I spoke in Baxter, Minnesota on January the 27th. It was actually negative 27 below zero, and it snowed five inches, and 300 people still came out to hear us speak. <laughs> I said, you are a bunch of crazy people to come out in this stuff, but I was the crazy one. I'm never going back to Minnesota in January. I'm telling you right now. I'm serious. The church tried to beg me to come back. and said, no, no, no. Put this thing sometime in smack in July or something, and I'll come out and see you again. But I don't know how to live in that kind of weather. It's awesome to be with you today, and I just love the fact of what you're doing with Biblical Worldview at this church. It's going to revolutionize generations, I promise you. Um, Dr. Josh Mulvihill, I'll introduce you to a few of his products and books here in just a little bit. But uh, he leads our church and family division at Renew a Nation, was the pastor of a huge church in uh, Minneapolis, had a thousand kids coming every Sunday to his church. And I sent him your Biblical Worldview three-year plan. 
uh, just the other day before I came. I said, hey, I want you to look at this because he's, he's unbelievable in this stuff. And he said, that's the most impressive local church plan I've ever seen. Now, he had a few suggestions for you to, to help and, and adjust and make, make it even better. But he said, that's the best plan I've ever seen. So I'm telling you something. You're on to something here, leadership. You hear me? You're on to something that's going to absolutely change the whole culture. Uh, I speak all across America, and there are tons of churches that, that do not hardly have any young people. And they say to me all the time, what's going to happen when we die? I say, your church is going to die with you. That's what's going to happen. But if you give your young people a biblical worldview, your church will not die. And 50 years from now and 70 years from now, this place will be packed to the walls and even more because of what you poured into your young people. So it's very exciting to be here and speak with you, a church that's very committed to giving the children in your care a biblical worldview. So at Renew a Nation, the organization I lead, we're laser focused on one thing, and that is giving children a biblical worldview. Our vision is to transform our culture by giving millions of new children a biblical worldview. Our mission is to inspire and equip the family, church, and school to give children a biblical worldview. There are 60-plus million K-12 children in schools across America today. Can you imagine what could happen if we could gain access to just a fraction of those kids' hearts and minds and teach them God's truth? We could change this nation. We could turn this thing around pretty quickly. I know we could. So this morning, I want to give you six reasons why we must get serious about giving our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview. And I'm, I'm talking to you grandparents this morning as much as I'm talking to parents because there is a revolution of grandparents taking place across America right now. Grandparents who have realized that their primary mission at 65 or 68 year, years old is not to retire and move away and have fun, but their primary mission as grandparents is to invest in the spiritual development of their grandchildren, all right? Dr. Mulva Hill's written several books on biblical grandparenting. We've got a few of them back there. If you're a grandparent, you ought to seriously consider picking one of those up. It'll help change your paradigm. And let me just say this up front to moms and dads. Moms and dads, we have a paradigm in the United States that says, you know what? We raise our kids. You raised us. You stay out of our business. Now, grandparents need to be judicious and wise in how they are involved with their grandchildren. But moms and dads, you have to open the doors to your parents and say, come on in and help us get this job done. It's going to take all of us to give our children a biblical worldview. So let me begin this morning, and uh, let's make sure we get this thing functional. Hopefully this is going to work. Boom. Let me give you a definition, uh, kind of a technical definition of worldview. And I know that uh, Pastor Joey's been doing a great job of this, but a worldview is that set of presuppositions and beliefs that we use to interpret and form opinions and values concerning life, humanity, family, authority, justice, truth, duty, etc. Our worldview is the big picture and culmination of all of our beliefs. It is the way we understand reality. It is the basis from which we make all of our daily decisions. So I like to say worldview is not just learning a core set of truth. But we are living out a biblical worldview when we are able to apply all of Scripture to all of life. Did you know that Christ is king over everything in this world? Christ is not, we live with a terrible scourge in the church in America. I call it the sacred secular divide. We believe, and this is what we're taught in our world today, that when we go to church on Sunday, that's our faith world. That's our private faith world, okay? That is the world where, you know, the, reading the Bible, singing worship music, uh, listening to a sermon, going to a youth camp, that's all sacred stuff. But everything else, when I get up and go to school on Monday morning or I go to work on Monday morning, that's secular stuff. You know, that's unbiblical thinking. I bet you've been pounding on this. It's a curse in the church. Christ is Lord over business. Did you know that? And if we study his word, Christ can help us apply his principles to business. Christ is Lord over government and law. Did you know that? Do you know why we live in the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world? And yes, we've had all kinds of sins. But we live in the most prosperous, productive nation in the history of the world because we had some founding fathers who, in spite of their faults, literally applied a biblical worldview to government. And so that's why that we are who we are today. Now, again, a lot of our young people, maybe some of you here, you have been told that America's the worst place that's ever existed. If you really believe that, come see me. I'll send you to a couple other nations around the world, and then come see me a year later, and we'll talk again, all right? 
Why are people clamoring to get to our shores? Because, because the, the ripple effect of our Judeo-Christian worldview still dominates this world that we live in. And that's why we have so much liberty and freedom and prosperity and so many other things. But so, so you, you don't really, you're not really living out a biblical worldview until you have a thorough and deep understanding of the Word of God and how the Word of God applies to your family, to your business, to medicine, to law, to government, to everything, to ministry, everything, all right? So every single adult here this morning, you have a fully developed worldview, I promise you. I don't care if you know it. You never probably, most of you probably didn't grow up saying, I'm developing a worldview right now. Probably nobody ever thought that, but you were. And so every adult here, you have a fully developed worldview. It's either a biblical worldview, an unbiblical worldview, but most likely it's a hybrid of the two. That is, in the areas of your life where you truly know God's word, you know how to apply it to that particular area of your life, you're living out a biblical worldview. But where you have a lot of challenges in your life, outside of physical challenges, I would say, if you have a big issue in money, if you have a big issue in your marriage, if you have a big issue somewhere else, it's probably because you're not living in harmony with God's good and beautiful design. And so in some area, you're, most all of us don't yet fully understand what a biblical worldview means in that area, and we're not living in harmony with God's design. So all of you adults already have a fully developed worldview. Every child represented here this morning, whether you're here or you just sent them out, um, or, or their children or grandchildren that are not here with you today, every child represented here this morning is right now developing their worldview. It's not a question of will they have a worldview. The question is which worldview will they develop? That's the only question. So the world is right now aggressively trying to help your child develop an unbiblical worldview. And as moms and dads and churches and educators, we've got to be working hard against that. So I'm privileged um, multiple times a year to speak with a guy named George Barna. Don't know if you know George Barna. He's probably the most well-known Christian sociologist in the United States over the last 40 years. He's a really great guy. When I first started speaking with him, I was like, intimidated out of my socks. I'm speaking with the George Barna. He's written like 50 books, you know. He's a really cool guy. And uh, in every speech, every time I speak with him, which I will be speaking with him in about three weeks again up in D.C., he gives this, in one speech, he gives this one statistic. He says, in my 40 years of research, I have now concluded that statistically, the worldview, the core set of beliefs that a young person has at 13 years of age is statistically the worldview they will die with. Does that say anything to us about how we should be investing in our children from zero to 13 years old? It, it really, every time he says it, I'm thinking, wow, we're on to something here with all that we are doing. I have discovered that whoever, hang on, let's go back here. I don't, whoever has the most access to the hearts and minds of our children and grandchildren will determine which worldview they develop. Our worldview, our set of core beliefs, what we believe really, really matters. When I was a young boy, I had a set of false beliefs that almost got me in big trouble. So my oldest brother, Jimmy, nine kids in my family. Jimmy was four years older than me, and he was the oldest child and the most honorary child. I don't know if you can have a double dose of depravity, but I think Jimmy had it. You know what I'm saying? He was adventuresome and crazy, and, and we grew up kind of crazy. We were in a pastor's home, but, you know, uh, we didn't have TV or anything like that, so we just made our own fun. And uh, we got in this thing where we always start in these clubs, us, me, and my brothers, and our neighborhood boys, and we were starting clubs, and we got this wild idea that in order to, you know, once we launched the club, we never had to go through initiation, uh, but anybody else who wanted to be in the club would have to go through initiation. I remember one club we started, we decided that to get into our club, you had to eat cow manure. We, we lived out in the country and had big, you know, but we were very merciful. We only made them eat crunchy cow manure. It was kind of like chips, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was very unique. But one day I got on the outside of, start, on the, of the startup of a new club and Jimmy stole my best friend Kevin and they started the club by themselves. Your, your brother ever steal your best friend? That's a bummer, you know. And Jimmy stole my friend Kevin who was my age, not Jimmy's age. And Jimmy and Kevin said to me, we got a new club, it's up in this tree and you can't even climb that tree anymore until you go through initiation to get into this new club. And I said, well, you know, my little worldview said, I got one goal in life, get in this club now. So I said, initiation, eat cow chips. I couldn't be, you know, that's the worst thing I can think of. I said, what, what am I supposed to do? And Jimmy said, 
He reached over and picked up a big old rock, about that big. You're dumb when you're little, just trust me. He picked up a big old rock and he said, you got to stay, we're, we're living out in the country. We're on a country road where you get one car in 15 minutes. I mean, it's not like somebody's going to miss seeing you on the road. Jimmy said, you take this rock and you stand right on that pavement and the next car that comes by, you got to hit it in the door with this rock. The good thing is we did it right next door to the parsonage, so it helped the church, you know, reputation a lot. But anyhow, <laughs> preacher's kids. And so I was so dumb. I was young and dumb. And my little world, you said, this is a brilliant idea. I will be up in the tree in moments. Give me the rock. And I stood on the edge of the road, and I, around the corner comes this big old green station wagon. This elderly gentleman was driving it. And literally, I, I don't even know if I was nervous because I had one goal in mind. Get in the club. And it's worth it, whatever price I have to pay. And I stood on the road. Jimmy stood right back behind me, you know, just like real smug, just about to get his little brother put in prison. I stood there, and that car came up, and I wound up, and I nailed that car right in the second door. Now, I don't know if you ever did anything dumb like that when you were a kid, but did you remember that the moment you do something that dumb, you come back to your senses? You know, and you go, I'm an idiot, and I'm getting ready to die right now. And my brother to this day, he says, Jeff, the only thing I remember, there was a field in between our house and the parsonage. He says, the only thing I remember is I turned around and I saw the bottom of your white tennis shoes just doing this across that field. I was gone. God has a great sense of humor because, or justice, I should say, because the guy slammed on his brakes, backed up, and blamed the whole thing on my brother Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy tried to get out of it. He said, I didn't do it. My brother, the guy said, no, I saw you do it. Oh, man, i never forget. I flew in the back door of the parsonage. My mother was probably in there meditating. And she saw my face as I flew in the back door. And she literally just turned around and said, what have you done, Jeffrey? I said, if I tell you, you promise you'll never tell a dad. And she said, if you promise to never do it again. I said, I threw a rock at a car. She never told my dad. And the proof of that is that I'm here this morning because I would not be here. I promise you, my dad would have killed me. On a much more serious note, on 9-11, 19 young men believed with all their hearts that they were doing the work of God by killing 3,000 Americans. I'm fascinated. My heart breaks for those young men. Oh, I hate what they did, but I don't hate anybody. I don't hate Muslims. I don't hate any of them. I just hate the fact that they live according to a false set of beliefs. I've watched those videos of those guys going through those metal detectors. They were not out of their minds. These were not crazy people. These were people who from the men who from the time they were this tall had been taught a worldview that was false. They had been told that if you will kill infidels, especially American infidels, that God will be waiting, you with, waiting for you with all of these virgins and these blessings and he will honor you. And they believed it and they acted out their worldview. For Americans, we can't imagine getting on an airplane and killing the pilots and flying those planes into the world traders. It doesn't equate in our worldview. But in their worldview, it made perfect sense. Absolute perfect sense. Our worldviews, what we believe, determine our act, determines our actions, and our actions have real-life consequences for good or bad. Our nation is a mess today because millions of people are living according to a false worldview. Especially senior saints come up to me all over the country and they say, Jeff, what in the world has happened to this country? They'll say, I'm 75 years old. You can't believe how much this country has changed. You can't believe it. You can't make it up. And I say, we have bought, we, we abandoned the truth and we embraced lies of every kind. And today we are literally, we have lost our minds. So let me give you six reasons why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview this morning. First of all, we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview because our children belong to God. We are only their stewards and managers. That's it. We're only their stewards and managers. I see some young parents, you know, they, they, they bring their child into the world, and, and some young parents make an idol out of that child. They worship that child. That child doesn't actually belong to you. That child belongs to the God of heaven, and he's been so gracious as to entrust them to us if we have them. 
We read in Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Did you know that children are a gift, not a burden? They're a blessing, not a burden? Have you read all the stuff about young couples today who say they're not having children at all? As a matter of fact, we have a massive problem in the United States now with just birth rate. So in order to maintain a population, you have to average 2.1 children per family. I don't know how you get the point one, but you got to average 2.1 children per family to maintain a population. In Europe, they've been down, way down below that. They're now maybe 1.1, 1.2 children per family in European families right now. So they've been way below the, the population survival rate for a long time. I'll tell you the families in Europe, though, that are not below the population survival rate, and that is the, Mus that is the Muslims. They're averaging over eight children per family. Some sociologists say that Europe will be under Islam within 30 to 50 years due to birth rate alone. In the United States, we were holding our own until about four or five years ago, and all of a sudden we dropped, and now we're down somewhere around 1.7 children per family in the United States. Young couples are waiting later to get married. They do not see marriage as meaningful, and they do not see children as meaningful. They're waiting later to get married. The average age in the United States now is 29 years of age. They're waiting longer to have children after they get married, and they're having fewer and fewer children. Let me just say this to you young people in this church. Children are a gift from Almighty God. One of the primary purposes for marriage is to produce godly offspring. Uh, research came out this past week that the marriages that are lasting the longest in the world today are people who got married in their early 20s and people who did not cohabit with any other partner before they were married. Does that sound maybe like that's God's kind of God's plan? Again, God's plan always works out best in the real world. Perhaps the greatest trust any person could ever be given is the responsibility of a child. As soon as our first daughter, Juliana, was born, and then our second, Heidi, I realized that I was responsible for their physical and even more importantly, their spiritual well-being. I was fully aware from day one that I would stand before God someday and give an account for how I had raised these beautiful girls. I've always known that God would not ask me about their position in life or their level of wealth. He will simply want to know, Jeff, did you teach them to know me, love me, and serve me with a passion? Matter of fact, I've had, when I was pastoring for almost 20 years, I had moms and dads who wouldn't let their kids cross a state line to go to a youth camp because they were so scared about their kids getting hurt or something. Our kids went on 14 or 17 or 18 missions trips. They went to Africa and Honduras and Guatemala. I mean, listen, we gave our girls to Jesus from day one. And when they came to me as teenagers and said, Daddy, they're going on a missions trip to Africa, trust me, I thought about it long and hard. And then the Lord said, I, did, you, did you bring them into this world so that I could use them for my glory? Yes, Lord. And they went all over the world. I'll never forget, Juliana got stuck in Honduras in a monsoon. And she, called, she emails us, it was several years ago, I forget how she communicated, but I think it was through email. And she said, don't worry, Dad and Mom, I'm in a monsoon, we're stuck here for a week. And she said, but I'm in this city and the compound, they said, we can't step out the compound because they'll rob us immediately. I said, praise the Lord. She's in a great place. But when she had gone in, she, before she told us in an email after she got there, she goes, Dad, this airport is unique. She said, there are crashed planes all over the mountain on the edge of the runway. Okay. And so while she's stuck there, this is a God's honest truth. My wife and I came across a documentary called The World's 20 Most Dangerous Airports. Don't ever watch that when your kid's overseas, I promise you. We watched that thing. We got to 18, 15, 10, 5, 3, 4. The second most dangerous airport in the whole world was the one my daughter was trying to fly out of and had all the planes crashed as evidence of how dangerous it was. But I was still glad I sent her. Jesus brought her home. She learned to love those broken and lost people. Our daughter, Heidi, went to Uganda when she was 15 years old. She went with a group from our church, a great bunch of leaders. I wasn't with her. And I'll never forget what she said when she came home. She said, Dad, you're not going to believe what I did. I said, what would you do, Heidi? She said, Dad, they took me out to a Muslim village. First of all, I wasn't aware they were going to do that either, by the way. And she said, Dad, these people lived in mud huts. And she said, I personally shared the gospel with many of them, Dad. And many of those Muslims prayed to be saved. Listen, our children belong to God.
from the second he brings them to us in this world until their dying day. And we better make sure that we get, put them in the hands of Jesus and let them have them. Parents and grandparents, it is our primary responsibility to make sure that our children and grandchildren know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus. Everything in this culture is working against us, so we must be super intentional to de and determined to make this a reality. The second reason why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview is because we want them to grow up to bless our hearts, not break them. This is a sensitive point, and I'm just, just feel my heart here as we go. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. A foolish son is a ruin to his father. And train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You've got to hear me here. There is no absolute guarantee that if we give our children a biblical worldview, they will choose a path of righteousness. There's no absolute guarantee. But there is a guarantee that if we do not give them a biblical worldview, they will go astray and break our hearts. In the olden days, you know, you could kind of pat Johnny on the head when he came from home from school and said, did you learn anything objectionable? Half the time he didn't know what he'd learned, but, you know, if it was something major, he'd tell you and you'd explain it to him. Those days are long gone. There's so much objectionable stuff now on media, culture, everywhere that we have to take a completely different approach. Let me just show you a few of the falsehoods our kids are being taught. This is just a scratch the surface. They're being taught the Bible is an old, old and out-of-date book that cannot be trusted. They're taught you can't believe in both science and the Bible. This is massively where the sacred-secular divide comes in. And our kids come to church years later, and they really don't believe the Bible because it's, their confidence has been eroded because of the disbelief. They've been taught sex outside of marriage is okay and even expected. They've been taught homosexuality is good and normal. Let me just stop here and say... I've ministered to homosexuals through my entire ministry. I've loved them. I've loved some of them until their moments of death, dying of AIDS. I've cared for every single one of them, people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I'm not here to be a hater or a basher or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to teach our kids what God's Word says. This past week, I had a 35 or 40-year-old young man. I was speaking in South Florida a week ago today. And he came up to me, and he's struggling with all this. And here's what he said. I really do believe the Bible, but I don't want to believe the Bible. Because when I look at it, the Bible tells me that my life is sinful. I want this life. This is what I want. But I also don't really want to abandon the authority of Scripture. And I was amazed that he was that honest and he was that open with me. You are being taught that your gender is fluid and may change. Listen, I know we got a bunch of wonderful public school missionaries here. You're teaching and administrating. And I praise God for what you're doing. But I'm going to tell you something. This is, your, this is your line in the sand right here. All right? You better stand up and fight. Because if we stand back and let them give 12-year-old kids hormones, we are failing our children at a massive level. We're failing our children. There's a whole group of detransitioners going on out there on social media right now. You need to look them up and find those who went through sex change surgeries and all this other stuff, and they are horrified now in their 20s and 30s. They are literally saying, why did you adults do this to me? Let me do this to myself. They're being told that abortion is a good way to manage an irresponsible sex life and that there are no absolutes, and they're being told 100,000 other lies. If we will be diligent about leading our children to Christ and instilling a biblical worldview in their hearts and minds, a vast majority of them will bless our hearts as adults, not break them. Now, I've got to stop right here and talk to those of you who have wayward children and grandchildren. Everywhere I go, people literally have tears running down their face after services like this and tell me, oh, Jeff. I got a son that's an atheist. I got a daughter that no longer believes. I got a child that quit church. I, I hear it. Every, I've already heard it this morning after the first session here. So when I was pastoring, these precious elderly saints would come into my office and say, Pastor Jeff, I've got a son that's lost as lost can be. Who's going to pray for my son when I die? I'm going to die soon, Pastor Jeff. Who's going to pray for my lost son? And I, I told them what I'm going to tell you this morning. If you're here this morning, you've got a wayward son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, listen to me. Every prayer you ever pray to God is for that lost child is deposited eternally in the heart of a God who never dies. And so long after you're gone, you keep praying. You hear me? You keep praying and praying and praying until you have no breath left to pray because every prayer you've ever prayed is deposited in the heart of a God who's going to chase that son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter until their dying day. You keep praying. And long after you're gone, God will keep working. And listen to me. I've also been on the other end of that. I can't tell you how many people I've led to Christ in my office as a pastor. And they were 60, 70, 80 years old. And they would start weeping after they prayed to give their life to Christ. And they would say something like this. Oh, how I wish my mother was here. 
I've had people say on her deathbed, the last words my mother spoke to me were, son, please come to Christ. I want to see you in heaven someday. And I've had him sitting there with tears running down her face saying, oh, I hope my mama knows that I just came to Jesus. So if you've got wayward children here, first of all, love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. You hear me? Stop beating on them. Stop beating on them. Stop beating on them. Embrace them. Do not embrace their sin. Embrace them. Love them. Pray your heart out and expect God to do something mighty in their heart and life. Third, we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview because we want our children to experience the joy and satisfaction that comes from living in harmony with God's good law and design. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. I had so many unchurched people come in and be saved in our churches, that I, the two churches I pastored. And many of them had this typical view of Christianity that the world has. They would say something like this. I had one lady sitting there say, Pastor, I'm just afraid if I really go all in with Jesus, I won't be able to have any fun anymore. She was on her third or fourth husband. I said, how much fun you been having? I did. I asked that question many times. How much fun you been having? I'm here rescuing you. You got children from six marriages, man. How much fun is that? How you like a check every month you got to write to six different ladies? I used to tell them this. All of God's laws are filled with God's love. Do you understand that? I pray you don't have this Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy where somehow God in the Old Testament is the mean God and God in the New Testament is the nice God. Are you kidding me? Not even close. All of God's laws are filled with God's love. I used to tell those folks, God's laws were put in place to protect us, not restrict us. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine our world if everyone just obeyed the Ten Commandments? No lying, no stealing, no adultery. It'd be a pretty nice place to live. We probably wouldn't even need police officers, would we? We wouldn't need militaries. We wouldn't have what's going on in Ukraine going on right now if we just obeyed God's beautiful law found in the Ten Commandments. When we diligently teach our children and grandchildren the truth of God's word and help them see all of life through the lens of God's word, we set them up for a joyous life. Now follow me. We can never take away all their pain or tragedy, but we can help them to live under the blessings that come from living in harmony with God's good design. I pray that you don't think the world knows better than God. And there's so many sensitive issues this day. I could, I could step in a landmine at any second. I probably already have, Pastor Joey. I'm a landmine specialist. I've got steel legs. Don't worry about it, all right? I'm blowing them up all over America. Not because I want to, but because the truth of God is the hope for our children and our future. The truth of God. When our children and grandchildren come to know and love Christ and understand his will for their lives, they will not experience the unnecessary suffering that comes from breaking the law of God. Fourth reason why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview is because we want them to carry the Christian faith to generations to come. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, we see how quick faith can be lost in a family. Let me stop here and say it. Look at me. Faith can be lost in one generation in a family. We're told in this passage that Joshua and the generation below him who had seen the great things the Lord had done, they served the Lord. But by the time we get down to Joshua's grandchildren, we read these very sad words. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Every time I read that passage, Pastor, uh, I'm telling you, it, it, it breaks my heart. Here's Joshua. He's the one who conquered Canaan. He marched around the city of Jericho. He did all the great feats for God. And the generation right below him, they understood God. They knew God and knew the great things he did. But we get down to the grandchildren. They don't even know that God exists. They don't know what happened. How in the world did they not pass that down? I got on an airplane. I spoke at the Ronald Reagan Library. I've spoken there a few times. I'm speaking there next October again in California. If you've never been to the Ronald Reagan Library, you need to go there. It's beautiful. You've got a full uh, Air Force One, literal full plane inside the library. You can go walk through it. It's really awesome. But I was speaking there a few years ago, and I went down to LAX to get on a flight from there to Washington, D.C. to go home. And there is a prayer, you know, that God never answers. It's that prayer, Lord, could I have an empty seat between me and the next person all the way to D.C.? Usually the Lord says, nope, two-ton Tony going to be sitting next to you, you know? <laughs> 
This, this night, it was amazing. I had an empty seat. I got to the back of the plane. There was about a 30-year-old young man sitting over there next to the window. There was an empty seat, and, and, and I was on the aisle, man. It was just heaven, Air, airplane heaven. And uh, I looked at the young man, and I said, hey, it's our lucky flight. We got an empty seat between us all the way to D.C. He goes, oh, man, I was hoping a naked woman would come set between us. I said, all right, this is going to be interesting for the next five hours. I sat down. He goes, so what do you do for a living? I told him, and it got more interesting. He goes, oh, you're a man of faith. I'm a man of facts. I'm an agnostic. You know, he didn't realize he had to get my permission to go to the bathroom for the next five hours. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he might not have should have started off so strong. I never argue with people. I don't want to debate people and be nasty. But I will ask them questions I don't think they can answer. And so he was so bold about it, I just looked at him and said, well, since I'm just a man of simple faith and you're a man with all the facts, tell me how we got here. He said, well, uh, the Big Bang, the Big Bang. I said, okay, so you believe in the Big Bang. Where did all the stuff come from that blew up? He thought, took about a minute or two, and he goes, well, um, um, oh, 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 he said, I heard a mathematician give the formula for that. And I said, really? I said, and what was his name? And he didn't know the name of the mathematician, and he didn't know the formula. But I was the man of faith, and he was the man of facts. So I said, actually, sir, I want to congratulate you. You're a man of much greater faith than I am. He said, I'm not a man of faith. I said, oh, yes, you are. I have my faith in a God who gave us a book. I compare that book to reality, and it makes tremendous sense. You have your faith in a mathematician whose name you don't even know. And that started a two-and-a-half-hour intense worldview discussion. <laughs> the people in front of us got saved seven times on one flight. <laughs> I'm sure to this day they're cursing at me because we talked so hard for two-and-a-half hours. I was exhausted already, and so, but we got about half. He, he had all the misconceptions about Christianity. He told me we hated homosexuals, we this, we that, we other. And I just, it was amazing when he, I actually gave him what we actually believed and how we dealt with it. He would kind of, okay, you know, he just, he had all the preconceived ideas. Somewhere about halfway through this massive worldview discussion, he says, well, I'm going to be honest with you. My grandma on the one side is a Southern Baptist woman, and my grandma on the other side is a Mennonite woman, and my name is Matthew Adam. And when he told me that, and since then, here's what I've thought. 30 years earlier, a little Southern Baptist grandma and a midnight grandma, they went to a hospital somewhere. And for the first time, they laid their eyes on a little boy named Matthew Adam, a boy whose mother thought so highly of the scriptures that she gave him those two names, no doubt. And I got to believe that when that little Southern Baptist grandma picked up that beautiful little boy, Matthew Adam, she looked in his face and thought, oh, what a man of God he will be someday. And perhaps the midnight grandma picked him up and said, oh, he's going to do something big for Jesus in this world. But I'm on the back of an airplane with him 30 years later. And he doesn't believe a single thing his grandparents believed. If we're not super intentional in this day and age, 30 years from now, our grandchildren will know nothing of the faith that we know. And oh, what a tragedy that is. Fifth reason why we must give our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview we want them to spend all eternity. We want to spend all eternity with our children and grandchildren. For what does it profit a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Our daughter Juliana was an all-state basketball player. We loved it. It was, it was a blast. We had to make decisions about her spiritual life and development, and, and that's a part of it, I understand and AAU, and summer travel, and all this other stuff. There were big, tough decisions that some of you are making. But I'm going to tell you something. You get that balance out of whack, and you wake up with a kid who doesn't care about Jesus. So my brother's a fantastic pastor. He's my pastor now down in Virginia. And he had a man in his church come to him with an 11-year-old boy. He said, Pastor, I just want to let you know we're going to be gone for a few Sundays playing travel baseball. My brother didn't think much of it. But he just happened to say, well, how many Sundays are you going to be gone? The guy goes, we'll be gone for the next 22 straight Sundays. 
11-year-old boy playing travel baseball. Now listen to me. This is where it gets personal, and you can get mad at me, or what do you want to do, but just listen to me. Let, let, let the Spirit of God speak to us today. That boy left and went and played travel baseball for 22 weeks then and a whole bunch of other weeks after that, I'm sure. And when he was 17 years old, that dad had the audacity to come to our student ministries pastor and say, what is wrong with your church? My kid doesn't even want to come to church here anymore, ever. Doesn't want to go to church. What does it profit a young man if he makes it to Major League Baseball, but he doesn't make it to heaven? I'm not saying you can't make it to Major League Baseball and make it to heaven as well. But don't sell their souls. It's a minuscule number that's ever going to make it to the very, very top. And even if they make it to the top, you better hope they love Jesus because that wealth and fame and power will destroy their soul if you haven't given them a biblical worldview and led them straight to Christ. What does it profit a kid to make it to Harvard if they don't make it to heaven? I made my mind up that my girls were going to know, love, and serve Jesus above everything else in this world. And then in order and in the right priority, other things would fall into place. And we're grateful that we did that and took that approach because they love the Lord with all their heart today. So giving our children and grandchildren a biblical worldview, how are we doing? And I've got to pick it up now. Because you got, there's like a trap door up here. I don't know if it's a trap door, but I'm afraid that you got, Pastor Joey's got a button. He goes, click, boom, you're down. <laughs> Whenever we get to that special time. You're not as bad as the church I went to far away. And the service started at 11, and they got me up at 11.59 to speak. I stood up and said, I sure hope you're not used to getting out at 12. And I went for as long as I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, hey, you're dumb enough to bring me all the way down here and get me up that late? I'm dumb enough to go ahead and speak. So anyhow. So if giving our children a biblical worldview is a great idea, how are we doing? Well, let me just give you a few statistics. The millennials, we pick on them. My daughters are millennials. They're awesome. There's nothing inherently more wrong with millennial than there is with anybody else. But they're the ones, people categorize them differently, but um, Tom Rayner wrote the book, The Millennials. He categorized them, those born from 1980 to 2000 in the USA, 21 to 41 years old now, actually 22 to 42. There's 78 million millennials, largest generation in American history. They're on target to be the most educated generation in American history, and they're on target to be the least religious. There is a direct correlation there. 76% of the millennials do not attend church. 80% declare they're not born again. 94% deny belief in one or more of the cardinal doctrines of Christianity. 60 to 70% support same-sex marriage. And I asked George Barna to his face, literally, I said, George, what is your, what's your latest numbers on the millennials having a biblical worldview? And he literally said these words to me. Do you want to get depressed, Jeff? I said, no, sir, but tell me the truth. He said, 4% of the 78 million, million millennials in the United States have a biblical worldview. So the bottom line is this, what we have been doing for the last 50 years did not work. And the reason I love what you're doing, Pastor Joey, is you're going, okay, I'm sure your church is batting better than this, but I guarantee you got some losses. Every church I ever go to has losses, kids that have abandoned the faith. And you know what? I don't want to lose one of them. That's, that's too many for me. And so... We've got to do something utterly different than what we've done in the last 50 years if we hope to get different results. Now that you're all depressed, is there any hope for this generation? You better believe there is. By the way, let me just tell you something. I told the early service. The last two years, God has brought an awakening to parents and grandparents and children. I mean, it's amazing what has happened in this country. Never seen the hunger and interest in what we're doing. Not even close than what we're seeing right now. There's a great, I believe there's an awakening stirring in this nation, and it's going to start with our children and our young people. It's, it's starting, it's already started right now. Is there any hope? You better believe it, because, and here's the sixth reason, if you're taking notes. When you win the heart and mind of just one child, they can literally change the world. Do you believe that? We don't have to have the, the vast majority. We just need a remnant of young men and women who are on fire for Christ, and they can change our world. This young man came into our Christian school when he was in the third or fourth grade, and we just baptized kids in biblical worldview. I hired a genius, literally a genius. He had an IQ of like 170 to really lead our whole biblical worldview shaping program. And he said to me, what is my mission here? I said, your mission is this. 
when our kids graduate and they go to University of Virginia and Virginia Tech and all these other places they're going, I want them, when they get in that world religions class, to have heard every single argument that teacher makes against Christianity when he mocks their parents and mocks their Bible and mocks everything else. I want our kids to have heard all of those arguments over and over again. I want them to know why they're not true, and I want them to know what the truth is and how to defend it. And that was our mission. This young man right here, he was with us for nine years. He graduated, went off to a non-Christian college, and for the first time in nine years, he was, he, was, uh, he was faced with a teacher who absolutely hated Christianity, loved abortion, hated the Bible. I mean, this guy was maniac godless. And TJ was like, his dad told me this story, and I went and sat down and talked with TJ about it. And TJ said, you know, it was a little bit of shock, but, you know, I just kind of keep my mouth shut. It was an English class. I didn't think I wanted to get in trouble with this dude, so I just kind of kept my mouth shut as we were moving through this class. And for whatever reason, this professor kept splitting the class in half. There were 25 kids there. TJ was the only one with a biblical worldview background. There were 25 kids there. And he kept splitting the class in half as much as he could. And they made him debate all kinds of benign subjects. Like, what is the best restaurant in our city? And for whatever reason, TJ's debate team won every single debate. They kept winning debate. It didn't matter what the subject was. I'll tell you something. TJ had not been taught groupthink. He had been taught how to think and analyze. And he, we use logic with these young men and women. And so he kept winning debate after debate. It was, it was going so well that this godless professor came over to him one day and said, TJ, all I can say for you, son, is you ought to be a lawyer because you're really amazing at this. <laughs> okay? And TJ, TJ said, well, this is okay. You don't know I'm a Christian much yet. I hadn't had to reveal too much of that. You know, I'm doing okay. And then TJ walks into class one morning, the kid said, and the teacher said, we're going to debate abortion today. TJ said, oh, dear God, here comes my exposing moment. <laughs> And he said, if you're for abortion, come over to this side. And T.J. watched in horror as 23 kids stood up and said they were for abortion. T.J. was the only one who stood up and said, I'm against it. And there was one kid who stood up and said, I don't know what I'm for, but I'm going with T.J. because he wins all the debates. <laughs> Since there were so many for abortion, the teacher was for abortion. He looked at the, the large group and he said, well, you guys make your case first. And T.J. told me, he said, man, I thought this is it. He literally said, I wish I'd have listened in some of those classes more. I don't know if I'm ready for this. This one kid standing there looking at this army of people who were for this issue. He said, but you know, the more they made their case, he didn't call them stupid, but he literally said, I begin to think, man, this ain't going to be as hard as I thought it was because their arguments are stupid. That's what he said. He said, I started thinking in my head, this is stupid. I think I, think I can take this down. And so they made their case, and then it became T.J.'s turn. The professor looked at him and said, your turn, T.J. And you know, he didn't even know where it all came from, but we baptized that boy's soul in the truth for years. And here's what I've discovered. When you fill a young man or woman's heart with truth, when they need it, the Holy Spirit of God will bring it to the surface. And T.J. said, I just started making point after point after point after point. And he said, it was just kind of coming out of me. And he said, finally, I just got bold at the very end. I got super bold. I knew the teacher. I knew. He said, but I looked at him and said, every time you abort a baby, you're murdering a child. And as that teacher always did at the end of every debate, he said, if you have changed your mind, switch sides. And TJ was blown away when all 23 young men and women came over to his side. You know what it took? One, yes. All it took was one young man armed with the truth and the ability to communicate effectively and he could win the hearts and minds of 23 young men and women who had never heard a decent argument against abortion. All it took was one young man in this church. You've got to make sure that you're raising up a generation of TJs. Renew a nation. We're trying to raise up millions of TJs. We want to unleash them on this broken world and let them heal the brokennesses all around us. We need these young people. And when we unleash them on this world, amazing and beautiful things happen. All right, I'm coming to a close, I promise you. You got your roast in the oven, just hang on. Jesus, don't let it burn. So what should you do as parents and grandparents? First of all, we've got to acknowledge there is a major problem, guys. What we've been doing has not been working. Yes, it's worked for some, praise God, but it hasn't worked for far too many. Are we, are, we, are we okay losing 50% of our kids? Is that okay? I don't think it's okay with Stone City. Not Stone City. What are we at? Stones Hill. <laughs> I went to a school called Stone City one time. So there we go. 
We've got to acknowledge there's a problem. Better evaluate and manage their media intake. Listen to me. I've had parents call me in horror because of what their kids got hooked up on the Internet. If you are so foolish, and I don't mean that to be unkind to you today, but listen, the days of pretending are over. We've got to talk the truth these days if we want to save our kids. To put a smartphone in your kid's hand with no boundaries. To put a television in their room with no boundaries. To give them the Internet with no boundaries. Then don't be shocked when something horrible comes out of it. There's an addiction to porn. There's an epidemic of porn amongst young men in this culture that is out of control. But here's what's even worse. There's an addiction to porn amongst young women. It's something that is so odd that has happened. They're forced. It's in the palm of their hand. Guys, you guys are my age. We had to go, if we were going to do something like that, we would have to go buy a magazine. I couldn't. My dad might know everybody in town. It wasn't going to work out. You know what I'm saying? I praise God I didn't have that phone in my hand when I was 14. But they do. So what are you going to do about it? If you don't know, we have some tremendous ideas and resources that we can recommend to you at Renew Nation to help you. And listen, you just have to be a weirdo. You just have to be a weirdo parent. Okay? Your kids, Dad, that is so weird. Say, I wear a badge called weirdo on purpose. All right? So I'm glad that you called me that. That's an honor. I wear that as a badge of honor. Again, win their hearts and minds, but you're going to take a stand if you want to save them. Examine their educational experience. I know that most of the children in this church attend a, a non-Christian school or public school and that you've got tons of Christian teachers and administrators. I praise God for that. But listen to me. You can agree with me that they're not going to develop a biblical worldview as a result of what they're learning at school if they're not in a Christian school. So you must homeschool them at night. You've got to have a plan. You've got to work to offset stuff that you don't agree with, okay? Make sure you're serious about that. Become a student of biblical worldview personally. Help your church make a greater impact. Again, you're, you're in a hot spot right now. This church, I, I'm so excited. I'm praying that you're going to become a model church that we can show to the whole nation. Okay? Your church is making a greater impact, and it's going to make a much greater one. And then train your children at home. A couple things, and I'm done. I hate to come in and fire people up and get them all excited about giving their children and grandchildren a biblical worldview and then not leave them with resources. So let me just show you three things I brought. First of all, I didn't actually bring that particular magazine on the left, but I brought three other magazines that are absolutely free. Magazines are free. You hear me? Go out and pick them up. Okay? Take them home with you. They're fantastic worldview articles that will help you tremendously. The book Biblical Worldview, I know many of you have already gotten that. Your pastor's been using that book. It's, it's available out there. It's a primer on Biblical Worldview. If you don't know much, much about Biblical Worldview, this is a phenomenal place to start. Okay? And then this book right here is just brand new. It came out in August, and we have literally seen... Thousands of them go into families' hands. And here's, i got to tell you a little bit about this book real quick. So Dr. Josh Mulvihill and his wife Jen wrote the book. And Josh and I were out speaking somewhere. And Josh, in a closing speech, tells this story that I never heard him tell. He said, when I was 17 years old, my mom and dad, his mom and dad were 37 years Campus Crusade for Christ missionaries. And Josh said, my mom and dad took me out to breakfast when I was 17 years old. And they had this old piece of paper written on front and back. And they slid this old piece of paper across the table to me. And they said, Josh, when you were a little boy, we sat down and wrote down all the things we wanted you to know before you left home. And we've only got you for nine months. Take a look at this sheet of paper. Tell us how we did and what do we need to work on in the nine months we have you here. Josh had never heard of this piece of paper. He said, I, I grabbed the piece of paper and there was all these bullet points with dates and check marks and scribbles. And he said, I looked at it and my whole life flashed before my eyes. He was like, that's why my dad took me on that trip and spent so much time teaching me that one thing. That's why they taught me inductive Bible study. That's why they taught me how to work on a car. I mean, it was all kinds of stuff on that thing. And Josh said, after I looked at the whole thing, I was amazed because that was my life right there. I could see it. He said, the only thing I gave him an F on was small engine repair. He said, I told him, give up. It's hopeless. I will never know how to fix a small engine. But anyhow. Well, Josh told that story where we were speaking somewhere out west. And I was fascinated. I'd never heard this story. I was like, my first thought was, where's that list? I want that list. And so we go back to the book table, and young families lined up, and they only had one question. Josh, do you have a copy of that list? And Josh's mom had died of Lou Gehrig's disease not too long after that, and he never got it. And he was standing there going, I, I, I don't have a copy. I, I know a lot of it, obviously. And I looked across the table and I said, that is your next book. 
and it just came out last August. Last week, Pat Williams, NBA Hall of Famer, executive with the Orlando Magic, endorsed the socks off of this book. Kevin Sorbo's wife, Sam Sorbo, literally just bought 26 copies of this to give it to her family and friends and cut a deal with us to, produ uh, to promote this on the Sam Sorbo show. I mean, this book is going bananas. So here's what it is. The first 20% is what does biblical parenting success look like? And then you break into those 50 things. And every single one of them, there's all these ideas of how to train this. There's extra recommended resources to go outside. And then in the very back, there's a do-it-yourself parenting retreat. So you can sit down with your spouse and plan once a year. Over the next year, these are the four, five, six things we're going to work on in Johnny's life. And then we're going to work on these different ones in Susie's life. It's amazing. And then there's a place throughout the whole book. It's designed one book per child to put your child's picture when they're baptized, dedicated when they're saved and baptized, a place to put their testimony, when they cook their first meal, when they get their first car. This is a lifeline. Uh, it's, it's a keepsake. And when your child leaves home, you hand them the book, and they have the story of how you trained them. All right? It's a phenomenal resource and tool, and it's available to you today uh, out at the table. With this, and I am done. This is my three-year-old grandson, Marshall. His last name is Mast. I told the earlier service his father graduated from West Noble High School and married my daughter. They met in Kentucky at a college. And his grand other grandparents are here this morning, Elson and Toy Mast, and his uncle Nathan are here this morning. We've had more fun with this little boy than I can imagine. He lives down in, on, we have a 2,000 acre camp slash farm down in Tennessee, our ministry, and he lives down there. They work down there full time. I get to go ride him on the four-wheeler and do everything else in the world. You can imagine we have a ball. And yet, as I have been with him for the last three years, here's something that dawned on me that I cannot get away from. That boy's children, Marshall's children, are likely going to still be alive 100 years from right now. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. You look at children in this church, you think you've got them for 18 years. That's, the, that's kind of the time span. You look at children in a school, you think you've got them for 12 years. No, listen to me. We're not impacting 12 years or 18 years. We are direct. With every child in this church, you're directly touching 100 years directly. And when we look at eternity, we know it's much more than that. If we're going to change the world in 2022, we're going to have to buckle up and go after the hearts and minds of our children like never before. We can't take no for an answer. We've got to say, yes, we're going to succeed. Bow your heads if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you for these wonderful families that are here today. Would you do something divine in their hearts and minds? That is my prayer. Every time I stand up to speak, I don't have the ability to do anything. But through your Holy Spirit, you could do something divine right now. Lord, would you change somebody's thinking who wasn't thinking straight on this issue? Would you give somebody a passion in their heart to work with their children and grandchildren like never before? Would you give them hope in their heart that if they will, under your lordship and through, the, through, the, through your precious word, if they will pour themselves into the training of their children, that they can see their children grow up and walk with you and love you and serve you in a powerful way? Would you do something special right now in our hearts and minds, oh God. And I see this everywhere we go. I don't, it, I don't know how it all work out, but I do know that you're doing something. You're speaking to parents. You're speaking to grandparents, no doubt, right here, right now. What do you want them to do? Make it clear to them. Give them a fresh burden, a fresh call on their heart to see their children become all that you want them to be. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. Incredible job. And I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. This place is packed out because you care about this issue. I'm not quite sure exactly how to say this, but it has been a growing conviction over a period of time. And I'm in nearly 17 years here. I firmly believe there's TJs in our congregation that are going to do something really special, and it's go time in the life of Stones Hill Community Church. If we can get this right for the glory of God, you're going to hear some TJ stories in years to come. Yes, even hundreds 
of years to come. Let's do this together for the glory of God. Amen. Let's get this done. Model church, model worldview church. We don't have to be huge. We've got to be a strategic, intentional little platoon God uses right here in rural Indiana to do a great work. It's God's time. It's God's moment. It's your moment. Now we get pick up from this place, and we go and we begin to apply. And some of the application, you know I'm big on application. How does it work, Joey? How does it work? We just talk to you about it. Get your book. Start the process. Start these benchmark, working through these benchmark experiences with your kids. All the while knowing we're going to grow you, we're going to keep growing you and giving you resources and resources and resources and giving you principles and perspectives such that you can live this out in a practical way. And Stones Hill Community Church can impact a generation, multiple generations for years to come. Growing conviction. We got TJs. What are we going to do about it? Let's make the necessary decision and steps. Amen. Will you stand with me? May his face shine upon you. May be blessed in him. May he give you peace. Go from this place. Connect with Jeff if you would like. And we will see you next week when we pick up the book of Daniel again. God bless. Have a great day.